Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for the beautiful hymns, and Lord, the special music that we'll have today. We pray that each would be acceptable in your sight, that we would be ever mindful that the audience this morning is not those that sit in the pew. Uh, Lord, we do not sing these songs for the pastor or the song leader. We sing these songs for you. And Lord, I pray that the preaching and most of all, Lord, we pray about the time of invitation. As we take a few moments of this worship service and ask that your word and the things that we have sung in the songs would minister to our hearts and and convict us of the things that we need, how we need Holy Spirit conviction, Lord. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in our hearts and in our lives to teach us, to change us, so we could leave here better able to serve you through this coming week. We ask that our worship would be real today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 21, a somewhat familiar passage of Scripture. But uh, if... They had been looking at my sermon notes, which was not possible. They couldn't have picked a better song to sing right before the sermon. I I found it all when I lost everything. And that is so desperately true of real Bible Christianity. And uh, sometimes we we look at the Bible and, and our relationship with God as... Almost a passive thing is, I just sit here and Jesus saves me. Of course, the saving business is Jesus and it belongs to Him alone. There's nothing you can do to help Him. If you're here today and you're saved, it's because Jesus did it all and you did nothing. Can we say amen to that? And that thought is reflected in our first theme verse for this year. Be still and know that I am God. I mean, there's just some times you've got to stop. Because what you're doing is drowning out that still, small voice of God who is trying to speak to you. But Christianity is not a passive thing. Uh, sometimes with all this work going on, I, I wish it were a little more passive than active. Amen? Uh, but let me tell you something. If you're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, there are things that you have to do. The second verse, that I might know Him in the power of His resurrection. You cannot know the power of His resurrection in your life until you do something. I mean, we have a lot of reserve power in this building. 400 amps of three-phase power is in the basement electrical room. I mean, we can run huge machinery. Praise God, this is a church. We don't run machines here. Uh, I I don't know that uh, uh, other than... When we first moved in the building, they had some very big air conditioners outside that just 
uh, did very little cooling and uh, very great power consumption. Uh, that was the only three-phase power that we had, and we got rid of those things early on because they didn't do any good. And uh, yet, power only is good when it's doing something. And our Christianity is supposed to be about doing, is it not? Uh, we're supposed to be doing things. You know, one of the things, coming to church is not passive. Uh, you don't just wake up Sunday morning, all of a sudden you're at church. That, that's a good thing. Amen? Uh, I, I never a- will fail to appreciate, as the pastor of this church, that each one that is here this morning took care to change a few things from the time you got up to the time you arrived here at the building. Uh, that's something we can all be thankful for. Amen? And, and uh, uh, the... Uh, truth here is, we have a relationship with God. We're supposed to be doing things. But most of the time when we try to get something done, Andrew talked about it in Sunday school, if you're listening to yourself, you're going to do the wrong thing. You, you've got to be listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to be doing things at His instruction. We cannot worship God at our own discretion. You know, many times in uh, jurisprudence or the legal system of New York City, uh, because there are so many lower-level offenders, the judge most of the time... If this is your first offense, we'll release you on your own recognizance. Uh, many times they'll, they'll require a bond or you're going to put up a certain amount of money that you will forfeit if you do not show up at the court date. But could I challenge you, God is not interested in releasing you on your own recognizance. He wants to instruct you each and every day. Somebody once told me as a father, says, you you must be the ultimate control freak. And uh, I said, absolutely. I said, I am not only concerned with what my children are doing. I want to know what they're thinking. And most of my children can testify that Daddy reads them like a book. And and, uh, that's important. You see, that used to be called good fathering. You know, the reason why it's condemned today is because it is condemned by other people who want to do your children's thinking for them. The public schools of New York City are no longer teaching children, giving them an education. They're indoctrinating them. You wonder about the level of ignorance 
in our news media and the things that are related. These are people, this is the generation reporting the news today that were raised under the radical hippie nutcase movement of the 60s. And they believe all that stuff. They believe that smoking marijuana is good for you. Had a guy tell me one time, oh, beer is natural. Coffee is evil. And uh, make a long story short, I told him, I said, listen. I said, when they opened the Betty Ford Center for Recovering Coffeeholics, I'll talk to you. If you can bring to me one child that has gone hungry because his parents spent the food money on coffee, I'll talk to you. But I like what one preacher said about Bush Gardens, uh, an amusement park in Florida built by the Bush family, Bush Beer. He said, every brick of that place screams from the hungry children whose parents wasted their money on Augie Bush's beer instead of taking care of their families. We, we live in a world where the thinking is just so messed up. Would you agree with that? What is right is wrong. What is wrong is right. And even Christians or people who call themselves Christians... I mean, I've had people sit across my... Oh, God gave me a brain. He wants me to think. Absolutely. Those of you that have been around this church, when Andrew teaches in the Sunday school as he is, and Jason and Franz and Brother Newberger, can you sit there and listen to them tell you the Bible stories and not have to engage your mind and think about the Bible? Hello? Could we have a yes or a no? Because if not, we're going we're, we're gonna to step it up another step here. Uh, but we don't have to because you have to engage your mind unless you're going to sit there and go. Um, but I will tell you that even the smallest children that cannot even communicate back properly in hearing and being exposed to that thing, it's going in. I've had my children say things to me that they could not possibly have heard in their older life because we weren't in that Sunday school time. But when they were two and even younger, they heard those lessons. It went in there. God wants you to use your mind. Christianity is supposed to be active. But, it's got to be at His direction. At the direction of Jesus. And it's always that way. And our struggle, people have often asked, well, you know, you you talk about the church doesn't give you salvation. The false church is out there trying to offer you a salvation. If you come to our church, if you do what we say, if you keep all the sacraments, if you get enough good works to outweigh your bad works, maybe you'll be saved someday. That is the false church. 
whether it's Islam or Buddhism or Catholicism or Orthodox or Protestantism, whether it's any of those things, it's all the carrot at the end of the stick is maybe someday you'll be good enough to be saved. Do you know the Bible's 100% opposite? The church has no real place in your life until you are saved. You've got to settle the most important issue first. Now, to us, you say, Pastor, what are you telling me? Well, here's the purpose of the church then. It is to help us in that struggle to live for Jesus till He comes. Can we say amen to that? How many of you are here for the series we did before the anniversary on the letters to the seven churches? Wasn't that the theme of each one of those letters? Is Jesus said, listen, you're my church. You're going to do what I say. Or you're not going to be my church anymore. Because I'm not going to be in charge of a church that doesn't do what I want to do. You know, there's a word that we need to bring out here. Authority. How many of you like authority? Oh, pastor, it's great when I get to exercise it. How about when somebody exercises it over you? That's not always so pleasant now, is it? Or is it? How many are you glad that Jesus has not relinquished the authority over your eternal soul from the day that you got saved? Could you say amen to that? He's not let go one bit. Because that is His, the word is providence. That is His area of authority. That is the realm that He has chosen to exercise Himself in. And as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to be thinking about several things. One is be still and know that I'm God. This passive idea that I cannot offer to God anything. I cannot bring anything to the table. There is nothing I can do with my own ability or my own effort in service to God. If He saves me, it's got to be all of God and none of me. But the counterbalance there is that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. Power is meant to be exercised. What good does it have to have electricity in your apartment if you don't plug anything in? It's meant to be used. And could we just take an aside? Uh, We live in a day of conspiracy theories. How many of you have ever heard of the Bilderbergers and the Illuminati and black helicopters? Okay. 
let me tell you something. Uh, there's a proper receptacle for that kind of knowledge. It's called the garbage can. If that were one bit true, if there were people that actually had that power, they would exercise it. Man, no man, without the restraining force of the Holy Spirit of God, no man has ever possessed power that he didn't try to exercise on other men. You study Adolf Hitler. He was a man that subjugated nations and tried to eradicate people, group from all, people groups from off of the face of the earth. It was his personal desire to destroy every living Jewish person. He failed. Why did he fail? Well, if you want to... If you want to study the failure of the Nazi regime, you can put it in one word. Russia. He lied to the Russians. He attacked the Russians. And unleashed a fury that has been unknown in the history of mankind as the Russian armies came back and, and literally subjugated half of Europe for the next 60 years under the Soviet heel boot which many could argue about far worse than that of the Nazis in many instances. Let me tell you something. No man holds power that he doesn't try to exercise. And yet we as Christians have the greatest power source in the universe, the very person of God himself, and we refuse to plug into it. Just like Asa in our Sunday school, we refuse to depend upon God's power to get things done, and we only invite trouble into our own lives and into the lives of those around us. And in this passage, we have a story here, and I'd like to just go through the chapter here, and it should be very familiar to most of us. After these things, what was these things? Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He had showed himself to the disciples that first Sunday night. And then the second Sunday night, he appeared to them. And by the, re by the way, that's the reason we have a Sunday evening service is because those were the first church services, and I don't want to give up a Sunday night service to make it more convenient. Uh, I think that we ought to be allow ourselves to be a little inconvenienced to worship the God who went uh, through the cross and through the tomb to save us from our sins. Could we say amen to that? And so, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, and on this wise showed he himself. So, this is the story. The Bible tells us this was the third appearance that Jesus made to 
uh, the disciples. He had appeared to them Sunday night. The next Sunday night, the next time was here, as John calls it, the Sea of Tiberias, as it's most often called in the Bible. The Sea of Galilee, this is the place where Peter, James, John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, Peter and Andrew, uh, uh, Philip, Nathaniel. This is where they grew up, around the Sea of Galilee. Now, why did they go there? Well, Jesus had told them to go there. In Mark chapter 14, verse 28, just before he told, uh, just after actually he told Peter that Peter was going to deny him, he said, I'm going to die and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. He said, I want you to go to Galilee. The morning when the, when the ladies appeared at the tomb, the angels said to him, He is not here, he is risen. Behold where they laid him. And he goeth into Galilee. You're going to meet him there. And then Jesus, that resurrection Sunday morning, when the two women, he met them and they held him by his feet, he said, you tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. This kind of important here. Jesus told them before he died. The angels told the ladies at the tomb. Jesus told the two ladies again. Jesus wanted the disciples to go to Galilee. He was going to meet them there. But were the disciples 100% compliant? Did, did they agree? Did they obey the Lord? Well, let's read on here. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Um, does that sound like everybody? Uh, we're missing quite a few, aren't we? Because Nathaniel really wasn't one of the twelve, but he was there. And then we have two other disciples, and we have Peter and Thomas. Um, the sons of Zebedee, so that's James and John, that's four, and then two more. So we have six of the disciples and seven altogether. There were eleven of the apostles there were 120 in the room, but we only got seven here. And then, verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. Period. Now, that, that period's pretty powerful, is it not? It's almost like Peter is saying... I'm done. We're here. We're waiting. Jesus isn't here. Nothing's happening. He told us to come here. It must be because he wants us to go back to what we were before we met him. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to where I used to be before I met the Lord. And, you know, Peter had an awful lot to be discouraged about, didn't he? Hello? He had denied the Lord three times. He had cut off one of the 
men's ears the night Jesus was betrayed. I mean, those kinds of acts of violence, they hurt you as well as the person you hurt. Jesus took care of of the person Peter hurt, but Peter was not doing real well right now. And they go fishing all night long. Now, their type of fishing is not our kind of fishing. Uh, When we think about fishing, you think about a fishing pole, right? And casting the pole. And uh, if you're not so great a fisherman, or depending on what you're fishing, you put live bait on the end and you throw that out there and wait for the fish to swim up to it. If you're somewhat talented and, and uh, you know, you, you want to put, you, you fly fishermen, you, you take a little thing and put it on the end of your string and you cast your string and you make it look like a little bug and, and uh, attract the fish and he'll come up and, and bite, but the the Peter and the the commercial fishermen, as commercial fishermen even do to this day, they use nets because their livelihood is off the sale of fish. You don't want just one fish; you want a lot of fish so that you can get rid of the bad fish and sell the good fish and and make a profit. And so they had a net, and their their net was basically like a huge woven basket. And they would throw that net in and it would sink to the bottom. And then they would slowly begin to draw that up and it would pull the sides of the net up and actually lock the fish in to the net. And, and so... It was a very ingenious way of doing that, and you had to be very careful because if you drew it too fast, the fish would swim out. And, and so the, uh, Peter goes fishing all night and doesn't catch a thing. And then Jesus shows up, and they don't even know who he is. In fact... As we go through the story here, we find out that they did not recognize him at all from his physical appearance. Isn't that strange? His physical appearance was foreign to them. It says there that they knew it was the Lord, but they didn't, they didn't dare ask if it was the Lord. Uh, One commentator said that Jesus intimidated them. Uh, I I think it was rather that the disciples weren't going to waste Jesus' time asking a stupid question because they knew who he was. But they didn't recognize him. Until he said, cast on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. I'm sure Peter and John... We're having all kinds of things happen. Because that happened three and a half years or so before. You remember that from Luke chapter 5? They'd been fishing all night and caught nothing. And Jesus had then asked them to uh, push their boat out a little bit from the shore so that he could preach. And Jesus wasn't like me. He didn't preach just an hour. Most of the time the Bible says he preached 
uh, hours and hours. One time he preached three complete days. That'd be kind of hard to fit in on Sunday morning, now, wouldn't it? Uh, but the thing was, that after Jesus was done, then he said, go out and let down the nets. And if you remember, Peter said, okay, we'll put down one, and, but there's no fish today. And their net broke and they begin, the ships began to sink. And, and Peter was so afraid, he said, depart from me. And Jesus said, listen... From henceforth thou shalt catch what? Men. He said, I got a different kind of fishing for you, Peter. Don't you think that was running through John? John's looking at Peter and saying, that's the Lord. Don't, don't you remember all this? And I'm sure all those thoughts. And, and Peter jumped and put on his fishing coat and jumped in the water and swam the hundred or so yards to the shore and... And came up first, dripping wet and, and all messed up and uh, disheveled, but and fell on his knees before the Lord. You know, Peter had the right idea. He wanted to be with the Lord. Amen. And Jesus said, come and eat. And one of the phrases I want you to get is verse 12. I'm sorry. Um, verse 10. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. If you want a title for the message, it's bring your own fish. That's what Jesus told the disciples. He said, Bring of the fish which ye now have caught. And so Simon Peter went up and drew the net full the net to land full of great fishes in hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Now, if you've un- been unfortunate enough to read or come into contact with Harold Camping, uh, you'll find all kinds of things about these hundred and fifty-three fish, none of them true, of course. Uh, representing the nations and the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, my goodness. And you multiply the fish by the number of the baskets left over from the feet. Uh, that kind of foolishness has no place in real Christianity. You know why the number is there? Because John wrote the book and he counted them. Hello? It's that simple. It was the greatest catch of his entire life. Is a fisherman not going to tell you about the biggest catch of his entire life? Let me tell you, he's going to tell you over and over again. And, and, uh, and, and except for the fact that he was the Lord's disciple, I mean, fishermen are great at one thing, and that's exaggerating the story, right? Uh, you know, I, I caught one the other day. It's about that far from the boat, right? And uh, the, the point was, Jesus... Uh, gave them this great catch. John tells them about it. Jesus asked for their fish to be added to what he's already put on the fire. There was enough there to get started. And by the time 
The disciples finished what Jesus had cooked. Their other fish would have been cooked as well. And there would have been plenty for them to eat and much left over to take care of their families and other things that were done there. And then starting in verse 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And three times, two more times, Jesus would ask that same question. He would tell Peter, I want you to feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and feed my sheep. And commentators, oh, they just love this passage because Jesus used the word agape and Peter used the word phileo. And in the Greek, agape is God's love and phileo is brotherly love and they make all of this thing. And let me ask you a question. Has God ever been willing to accept second best from us? No. Don't play with words. It's very clear. Jesus said, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Then why did Jesus ask him three times? Well, three times it's recorded in Scripture that Peter denied the Lord. Jesus gave Peter three opportunities to affirm his love and his dedication to the Savior. Just that simple. Then Jesus begins to tell Peter that when you're old, when you're young, you got yourself dressed. When you're old, somebody else is going to dress you and take you someplace you don't want to go. Signifying by what death he should die. Now, I'll tell you this. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. And I believe Peter knew what Jesus was saying. But I'll defy anybody in this room to explain what Jesus meant by what he said. Because normally, they talk about the cross, normally when someone was crucified, you were not dressed, you were undressed, and you were put on the cross. And so it's just a little unusual here, and, and somewhat even cryptic, we might say. But I want to challenge you, that Peter would live every day of the rest of his life in the shadow of that coming death that was prophesied by Jesus. But more importantly than that, this passage is not about death. It's about life. Because when Peter said, okay, that's what I'm doing, what's John doing? What was the answer? Let's read it here. Jesus saith unto him, verse 22, If I will that he tarry till he come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Jesus said, Don't worry about John. 
if he were to live a life of ease and never die till I come back for him, that's between me and John. I'm talking about what's between me and you, Peter. And so I am giving you this challenge, follow thou me. And so as we look at this story here, we have three basic commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. One is repeated three times. He says, bring in the fish, which ye now have caught. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. That's one group of commands. That is the job that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, of every preacher of Jesus Christ since this day uh, that we live in all the way back through history to the time that Jesus walked the face of the earth. If you're going to teach His words, you're going to feed His sheep. Amen? Because we do not live by the food alone that we eat. We live by the words of God. That is our spiritual food. And it is the job of the preacher to feed the sheep. And that's what we're trying to do today during this time. And the last command was, follow thou me. Three things. Bring in the fish which ye now caught. Feed my sheep. And follow thou me. Three simple commands. Three, three directions here. And, and I really believe that they, they'll help us if we'll look at these three commands here. That, that they'll give us a balance between these two ideas of being still and knowing God and experiencing the power of His resurrection actually getting something done. And we we need this in our lives. So we're we're gonna we're gonna start with bringing of the fish which ye now have caught. Now let's talk about the fish for a moment. Did Peter actually catch the fish? Well, technically he did. He drew the net with the other disciples and enclosed that great multitude of fishes. But who put the fish in there? Heard a preacher preach about this one time. He said, there was an angel, God had an angel down there in the water and all night long. Get out of the net. Come on, guys. Out of the net. Out of the net. Not one fish, not you, pulls them out of the net. And, and then in the morning when they cast on the other side, he says, okay, fish, in the net, in the net. Everyone, you too, in the net, in the net. And filled it up. Now, we don't know if the Lord actually did it that way or not. Uh, but uh, it, it might, uh, it, it really paints some interesting mind pictures, does it not? And, and we can have a little fun with the Scripture. But Peter didn't catch those fish. The disciples didn't catch those fish. Jesus caught those fish. Amen? Really and truly, all he had to do was say in his own heart, fish get in the net and... Nature obeys the Creator. Amen? But it's not as funny as the other story. But who did Jesus give credit for catching the fish to? 
He looked at the disciples and he said, Bring now of the fish that ye, which ye have caught. Isn't that kind of passive? Did the disciples catch the fish? No, Jesus caught the fish. But the disciples still had to pull the net there. And Peter had to draw that net to the land. They, they would leave it tied up and so the fish could not swim out. And, and, but they would leave it in the water so the fish wouldn't die. And Peter goes, and now it says 153 great fish. Now, I'll tell you what, freshwater fishing, five pounds is a good fish. Though they get a lot bigger than that. You could get a, a, a nice brown trout, 30 pounds. Now, let's just say the fish weighed five pounds apiece. What's five times 153? Uh, that's a massive weight there, wouldn't you say? I mean, even if the fish weighed two pounds each, uh, that would be 306 pounds. Uh, wouldn't you say Peter was a man of some physical ability here? Because he had the net, he had the water, he had the fish. I mean, this thing must have weighed a minimum 500 pounds, and here's one guy dragging it. I'm glad he's on my side. Amen? Uh, I want to be that guy's friend. I mean, he, he had the physical proudness to do this, and he did it. And Jesus gave Peter credit. And the other disciples for catching the fish which Jesus had caught. Are, are we together on this? You see how that works? They had to be where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. Operating under the authority or direction, the direct commands of Jesus Christ, and then the miracles happen. Well, let's go to the next one. He told Peter, he said, I want you to feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and feed my sheep, right? Well, let's stop and talk about feeding sheep for a moment. Um, if you're going to feed sheep, You have to have sheep. Amen? I, I know I'm being silly this morning, but you need to get this. The sheep have to be there if you're going to feed them. Uh, the feeder has to be there. There has to be a direct connection. That's why Internet Church doesn't work. And radio pastors and television pastors are absurd. If you're going to feed the sheep, it would help if you were both in the same place at the same time. Amen? But let me ask you a question. Who did the sheep belong to? Did they belong to Peter? No, he's just feeding them. 
Jesus said, my sheep know my name. They know my voice. And they're going to follow me. And your job, Peter, is to give them something to eat. Now, where's Peter going to get the sheep food from? Well, if they're real sheep, you've got to go get grass and you've got to go to the feed store and buy something of corn or something to feed the sheep. I'm honestly not sure what sheep eat other than grass. Uh, uh, I imagine you could go to a store and buy a bag of sheep food somewhere. Somebody's had to make something up like that. But if you're one of Jesus' sheep and you're following Him, here's the sheep food. Amen? I've had people accuse me over the years, say, uh, well, you're, you, just, uh, you, you just believe the way you do because somebody taught you. Yeah? Uh, and, and who taught you? Ellen G. White. Seventh-day Adventist. Judge Russell. Jehovah's Sicknesses. The angel Moroni. Pronounce that one just a little long and you're wrong and you'll be a lot closer to the truth. Uh, The Mormon faith. No. How many different churches actually hold this book up and say, read it for yourself? Check out what I say. Go home and study the passage. And you can see that what the preacher's preaching comes from the Bible. You see, that's feeding the sheep. The whole goal here in every sermon is not only to give you spiritual food, but yet to teach you how to read the Bible and gain spiritual food for yourself. You see, that's feeding the sheep. The sheep belong to Jesus. The food belongs to Jesus. And by the way, to whom had he singled out as the recipient of these three commands, but the one man, the only one of the disciples who had denied the Lord three times with profanity on the last one, Doesn't that illustrate so clearly the truth that it's not in the feeder? It's in the owner of the sheep. And it's in it's his words that feed us. And that he will use us in spite of who we are. And what mistakes we have made. Because he doesn't need our humanity to make himself look good. He is good. And He will use us in spite of who we are if we'll follow the pattern being where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there and operating under His direction. Amen? Now we got one more. He says, follow Thou, me. 
death is never welcomed. The Bible tells us death is the last enemy that will be destroyed. Jesus had just told Peter how he was going to die. That's not good news. And the sense, if you want to try to read into it, this was not going to be a pleasant death. This was not going to be uh, uh, of natural causes. Peter was going to die violently and in some terrible way. That's, that's not good news. And our, our first thought when we have something unpleasant, finish the statement for me, please. Misery loves company. Now, please, don't you be of the crowd. Oh, and you've had such a miserable day. Will you feel pity on me? You know, what we need is love, not pity. Where are you going to get love? Finish the sentence. God is love. There we go. Hey, I don't want pity. So where am I going to go? And Peter says, well, what's John going to do? And Jesus, in not so many words, tells him, will you stop worrying about John? Because what John does has no bearing on what you do. If you're going to end up in the right place, you had better follow me. Closely. Carefully. Uh, Does that sound like being where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, and operating under the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, the Christian life is not a complicated thing. But, church, we, we need some things to happen around here. Amen? Would you agree with me about that? We need some fish. And let God turn them into sheep. And we got to stop worrying about other people and stop following the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? See, there'll always be other people. Always. But you're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to follow other people? Or am I going to follow Jesus Christ? My hope and prayer as the pastor of this church is that you'll follow Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what? This book has enough food 
to fill the soul of every person who will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to go get some of our own fish. Amen? We need to... I'm I'm thankful for every visitor we had during our anniversary. That was great. That was good. First start. But that's what we ought to be about all the time. Let's try that again. That's what we ought to be about all the time. Now, you just said, I agree. That's what the word amen means. But are you going to catch the fish with your own effort? Do the fish belong to you? Do you really want the Holy Spirit of God saying, don't listen to this person They're in their own effort. They're in their flesh. They're not bringing my message. Or do you want the Holy Spirit of God going before you, drawing people to Christ? Amen? I think we need the latter rather than the former. Amen? Uh, I remember talking to Brother Clayton one time. He said, oh, yeah. He said, I can tell you how to fill this building full of men. He said, just give away free beer. I'll tell you what, once the word got around, I think we'd fill the place up. But would it be a church? And not hardly. But there are foolish people out there trying to preach the gospel on Sunday morning in bars where they serve liquor all night Saturday to the wee hours of the morning because they want to reach people where they are. Excuse me. I've given this illustration so many times. If you're, if you're uh, caught in the river and you're drowning, the last thing you want is me to jump in to save you. Because then there would be two of us drowning in the river. You want me standing on the shore and throwing a lifeline so I can pull you in. You see, that's how we're supposed to go fishing. Amen? But we've got to remember, he's the one that does the fishing. He's the one that catches the fish. But we have to be there under his direction. That's why the Great Commission says, go ye, not go me. Because it's not left up to you by yourself. We're to go together as a church. Amen? We're, we're to take that effort. And when we have a loved one or, or some individual that we have contact with that we're trying to witness to, guess what we do? We pray for one another. And in essence, even though you may be the only one there talking to that person, you'll have the prayers of God's people going with you. Could we say amen to that? I didn't hear that. We've got to feed the sheep. That's why we have church. That's what church is all about. That's what church has been about since the day Jesus said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. I will build my church. It is His church. Everything about it is His. And all we have to do 
follow him. Just follow him. You know, there's a thought process that goes out there. Well, I, I know Jesus is the only way to heaven and I'm so glad that he saved me. But you, you can get too much of this Christianity thing. It'll make you crazy like Preacher and his kids. You know what? Maybe it will. But that's not your call. That's his call. Are you going to let Jesus do his calling or are you going to determine? Hello? I've had people say, well, I, I couldn't surrender the Lord. He'd want me to go be a missionary and eat monkey brains. And uh, I said, what if the only thing the Lord called you to do was be faithful in your local assembly? Hello? God is not... Trying to hurt you. He is offering the only thing that will help you. That's how you got saved. That's how you live for Him. If you got something that's keeping you from following Him, that's what this altar's for right here. If you don't have any fish, maybe you ought to come up to the altar today and ask God to give you one. Amen? I am. In spite of all the work and everything over at Union, I'm, I'm asking God because we've got, to, we've got to bring of our own fish. God wants them to be caught. Any questions about that? So, if we'll get out there, I believe God will answer that prayer and let you bring your own fish. Amen? By God's grace, we're going to feed the sheep here. You're going to get, the, you're going to get this book every time you show up. Can we say amen to that? But you've got to surrender. And you've got to follow Jesus. If you're here today and you're not saved, He'll save you. You can go home knowing that heaven's your home and eternity is secure. But Jesus won't save you unless you ask Him. Be still, but know the power. Call upon His name and ask Him to save you. He will. Say, I'm not serving God the way I should. Be still. And ask Jesus to fill the net with fish. I don't feel fed very well. Well, be still. Take your earbud out and stop listening to the ball game during the sermon. Amen. No, praise God. Uh, we don't have that going on. But in the old days, they had those hearing aids that had the wire that came down to the battery pack. And I remember growing up, a little boy in church and seeing not a battery pack, but a transistor radio hooked up to that thing. 
and, and they were listening to the ball game. And everybody thought, oh, he's got a hearing aid. He really wants to hear what the preacher had. No, they had no clue as what the preacher was preaching. That, that's where we live. That's why the sheep don't get fed. And it all boils down to this. If you're going to get your eyes on other people, you're not following Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus. You know what? That means you've got to let go of a few things. He might do something with your life that you might not be interested in at this point. But I'll tell you this, if you'll surrender to him, you'll be loving it. Because there is no greater thing that you can accomplish with your life than to follow Jesus. And all God's people say, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us as a church, that you would work in our midst. And Lord, we would learn how to be still and know that you're God and let you fill that net with fish. Lord, that we would allow your word to feed us and nurture us and strengthen us. And Lord, that you would use us in spite of who we are because it's your sheep, it's your feed. But we still have to take it to the sheep. And we ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would give power both to feed and to eat that which is fed. Lord, we sum it all up with that third command, follow thou me. Lord, there's some of us in this auditorium that are holding on to things that are focusing our eyes on things that are not allowing us to follow you as we should. We, we follow you with reservations, with fear that somehow you're going to do something that's going to hurt us. And Lord, nothing could be farther from faith. We ask, Lord, that you would help us find the surrender to take our eyes off the world Take our eyes off other servants of Christ. Let you do the leading. Lord, will you lead us? We know you want to. Will you feed us? We know that you have said that you would. And Lord, we're asking for fish in those nets. We're asking for a sensitivity to be where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there. At the direction, not some mystical, wonky-tonky thing. But Lord, just simple, biblical obedience. Lord, we're all the sheep of your pasture and we need to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open.